Hello and welcome. My name is Mark Platstein, and I'm grateful here to be with my friend Brooks, who is experienced and with both getting into and then being released from prison. And hopefully he's going to share his experience, what he went through, so that for those of you who are listening, you probably or hopefully can have a better outcome. So first topic, I guess we'll jump into Brooks is picking your attorney. Um, you know, that's a very, uh, I guess it's a, it's a, a real crucial piece to the puzzle. Um, if you don't vet exactly who you need and what you need them for, you can kind of run into a lot of brick walls. And that's what I happen to run into. Um, a lot of us, you know, we're not career criminals. We don't have the background, the understanding of what you truly, truly need until you actually just learn from your personal experience. And what was um, your personal experience? How did you end up with this guy? Well, the problem was, you know, I'm, I'm retired military, um, 24 years. Um, I was overseas when I was indicted. I was living in Europe and I basically just had to depend on the phone book. Um, went to the Yellow Pages, went through Google search and just did a quick search. And, you know, I was so, I guess, caught up in the moment of the adversities that I was dealing with. I just jumped on whoever I could jump on. Um, unfortunately, I went through approximately three lawyers until I found one that I thought was suitable. Um, oddly enough, the lawyer that I chose wasn't suitable. He wasn't too experienced with federal cases. Um, he had his own situation going on during my case. The communication was awful. You know, at this point in time, like I said, I lived overseas, but I eventually, of course, lost my passport and I had to move back to America. I moved what was, back what was his experience in law? Um, he had experience in law, but just not on the federal side. I mean, he dealt with most type of maybe criminal cases, but they were mostly state orientated and things of that nature. Naturally, I didn't know that um, until doing research. But by then it was too late. A lot of money had been produced. I paid out thousands of dollars by that time. And um, a lot of I guess a lot of false hope. Um you get you kind of get sucked into it because he basically told me that, you know, it was a one time fee and I paid that one major amount and that would include everything, um, including going to court, going to trial and so forth. Well, as we got further on into the case, you know, by chance, I needed some subject matter experts. As I stated, my case um, that I don't want to go too deep in detail because I still have some things pending, but it was dealing with the military. Um, so I had plenty of subject matter experts that were willing to help me that were, you know, logistical officers and things of this nature. Well, according to my lawyer, that wasn't good enough. I had to have somebody that had to go through validation through the, through the court system. So this was another 10 to $15,000 that I had to try to come up with. And it was just so many just things that weren't discussed before. It was kind of like, you know, going to buy a car and, you know, not knowing how many owners the car had, how many miles the engine had on it. You know, you're kind of just lost. And then when the car breaks down, naturally then becomes something of sense of urgency. But by then it's too late. And that's what I ran into. So then you came when we first started talking. The first thing I, or one of the initial things was the pre-sentence report. And then you have a you had a pretty significant medical history. Uh, Yeah. Yes. Like I said, um, it was discovered while I was in the military that um, I had sarcoidosis, a lung disease. Um, un incurable lung disease, 
been on steroids most of my life and multiple medications. I'm on approximately 10 to 12 medications um, as a result of ongoing things with my immune system, besides trying to duck and dodge COVID. So I was really in a, in a really dark, dark place, you know, medically speaking. Um, when all this transpired and took place, naturally my PTSD was at an all-time high, but I was also hospitalized with a pulmonary embolism, blood clots in my lungs. So it just got worse as time went on. Um, with very little improvement. Um, I just try to maintain, and I'm still maintaining at this point in time. How, how much preparation did the attorney spend with you in putting together preparation I get for your pre-sentence interview, your pre-sentence report, before you got the sentencing, a narrative explaining, so allowing you to explain to the court what happened you, how much time was spent with your attorney trying to gather all this medical history that you had in your background and it, it putting me. it to paper? Yeah, just to interject, Mark, it was me. It was me and my wife, you know, diligently doing all the homework. Um, it seemed like whatever documentation I would produce from my doctors and from my medical records, it just never was enough. So I felt myself almost being my lawyer's assistant. You know, and, and you're desperate. So you're going to do all the research because it's a case dealing with me directly. So, of course, I'm going to put forth the effort. But the information that I was producing never seemed to be enough. Unfortunately, when you're dealing with legal matters, um, you have to have understanding that everybody is going to speak on what they think the judge may do, what they think the DA is going to do. But it's all hit and miss. You just have to cover all your bases as best as possible, do all the possible research. I mean, you know, you were a blessing, you know, the things and documentation that you produced just, you know, were spot on. They opened up bigger and better horizons for me, better understanding for me. But all the work and homework came from me and my wife. So initially, I think you started with the BOP in 2018 where they didn't even want you. Yes, this is true. Um, I got questioned I was still living overseas, living in Europe. I got questioned back in 2017. Um, after the questioning in 2017, I thought I was pretty much clear. Um, I thought they realized that I didn't have any involvement in the situation. I didn't have much knowledge. I was a junior sailor at the time, so I didn't know much. This was this case is pending from back in 2008 timeframe, 2006 to 2010 timeframe. Wow. Um, yeah, so it, I, I thought the statute of limitation would kind of cover me, but you know, that didn't take place at all because I guess because of me being a military member, there was no statute of limitation. But I guess my point is being indicted in 2018, approximately 10 to 11 years later, I didn't even know what I had for breakfast that morning. So much less to be able to tell you what exactly took place 10 to 11 years prior to a military member following orders. It, it proved to be difficult. That's crazy that, that it was it, that long. It was an unbelievable, unbelievable. So how did you wind up finding me? Um, blessings, you know, with the wife that I have. I mean, she's very diligent and uh, she she doesn't give up. She doesn't stop, you know. She's like a Jack Russell Terrier once it bites in some, something. Yes, yes, yes. I mean, she's run marathons, like physically ran, run marathons over the years, you know, throughout her marriage. You know, I've always supported her. But she ran a real marathon this time. And you were part of that marathon. I mean, she Googled, she checked, she did a background check on you. 
to see what was going on as far as, you know, because we'd already got bamboozled by the lawyer situation. So by this time, you know, we were just hesitant about anything and anybody. But after she did some reading about you, some research, you know, we were pleased. We were pleased by what we saw. Um, we talked to you. We were more pleased. You were very productive. Um, like I said, I was in the military for 24 years. So one of my things is, you know, having things as precise as possible. I'm big on communication. And you provided all those things. You know, you just never left me hung, you know, hanging dry. You, you would say, hey, I'll call you at nine o'clock. My phone's ringing at 8.59. You were very prompt. Um, the information you were giving me, you know, was not only the information I was asking for, but again, you thought outside the box and you were providing information that I hadn't even thought of at the particular time. So you opened up different doors and avenues. So, you know. So initially with, when you were initially, and correct me if I don't remember right. Okay. With Between when you were first with the judge, they were going to try for like, or they left you out of the BOP because they didn't want to take you during COVID. Exactly. And then you were trying for compassionate release and we prepared, I think quite a bit of information to, to give you that or to prepare you so that the so that your lawyer could petition the court. And that went, how? Uh, didn't go well as far as my involvement with my lawyer and, you know, dealing with the courts. As you stated, um, I was indicted in 2018. Um, but it started two, and you said in 2000. 2000 yeah. The incident was in back in 2006, 2008 time frame. Wow. But I wasn't physically charged and indicted until 2018. Okay. Um, at that point in time, I had to relinquish my passport. Um, came back to the States. And what I'm stating is during that period of time, just to, to focus on what you're, you're speaking of, um, my, my lawyer, you know, I, I explained to him, hey, I got all these health issues. So we're producing all this documentation from 2020, which I got sentenced in 2020 based on a plea deal um, until 2023. So for three years, I was home. Um, I had been sentenced to 27 months, which I thought was horrendous. There were other people involved in my case who didn't get as much time as I was getting. So there were so many questions. Um, my lawyer pretty much said, hey, you'll just get a couple of months and you'll probably get probation. You don't have criminal history. You got a stellar, you know, military record and so forth. That didn't hold true. Right. But um, no, no attorney, consultant or anybody can promise or guarantee what any judge or the BOP will do. Period. Definitely. 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 And uh, that needs to really be understood by people. Um, and this is my personal opinion from my dealings. But all this depends on how a person wakes up in the morning. Um, you could have gone to court for the same case on one day and gone the next day and your outcome could have been totally different. And that's it, what really it, scared me. It's um, I, <laughs> I forget the name of the firm but a friend of mine's neighbor is it was he passed away a senior partner in a very large global firm started here in dc mm -hmm. and essentially he said that on any given day the judge can get out of bed on the wrong side of the bed and true statement all true butts statement. are off true statement and i can honestly say um you know 
again, at that point in time, you're going through so much and, you know, I'm very spiritual. So I just try to keep my faith and keep my understanding. But I can honestly say the judge took into account my health. She kept me out for three years. Um, the DA was very adamant, even was caught in a few mistruths and said that the BOP was ready for me. The BOP could handle me. Um, so they ended up sitting, sending me to Butner, um, Butner Low, which is supposed to be one of the top medical facilities. Now we're going to get into Butner. That's yeah. a good short segue. Yes. And so Butner is a correction complex. On the complex is Butner Low. There's also a medical center, which is supposedly regarding cancer treatment for the Federal Bureau of Prisons, the best in the country. Nobody likes the food at any prison, but it is what that part is what it is. Right. Um, but what else did you see purely from your interaction within the low? Because from what has been released recently in the press, and I should have had that up for me to find more simply, is that there was an article where Butner it's while it's true that they get patients that have severe cancer, there are they have more deaths than they should have. Yeah. Um, and while it's true that they're seeing people at the end of their lifespan, a lot of these deaths were not due to that; they were due to delay in treatment. Yes. So what was your perspective for the short time you were there okay well in all honesty as i explained to you before um i went in with several medical issues i took my military records my medical records my civilian records i took every you know nuance of every piece of paperwork that i had pertaining to my medical issues just so that i could be taken care of during my stay um unfortunately during that period of time um i was there for about five and a half months and during that period of time, what I discovered, there is a there is a hospital on the facility, a full-blown hospital, but all the doctors are contracted out. So during that five and a half month stint, I probably saw two doctors. Um, I went in requesting to see the same doctors that I was seeing in the civilian sector, and it just didn't happen. Regarding uh, the regarding their specialty. Regarding their specialty, specialists, I saw a regular, you know, overall primary care doctor. They have like a makeshift, um, what you want to call it, like nurse a assistant, a nurse practitioner. Like a yes, yes. They right. have like a clinic right there Physician on the facility. Assistant. Right. They're not 24 hours. So God forbid if you have a problem two, three in the morning, you know, they have to call away medical teams and everybody has to come back on duty or whatever the case may be. But um you know, the medical care is they just load you up with pills, basically. I mean, I want to be honest with you and very candid on my experience. I'm speaking for myself. Um, I went there not being a diabetic, um, in good physical condition, you know, at my age. And um, while there, you know, based on the, 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 the food, the commissary, you know, there aren't many options. And I got, you know, diagnosed as being a pre-diabetic suddenly. Um, again, they just threw pills at me. So... With that these are said, these are medications you've never had before. 
these are some medications I had before and some generic medications that I've never experienced before. So there were multiple combinations. I was on a, about approximately 12 different pills per day, um, 12 different medications per day. Um, and, you know, you go and I would complain about certain things. I was having chest pains because of my pulmonary embolisms. So I know that my blood thinner, you know, wasn't working. Um, so I went in and they tested my heart for some reason. And I was explaining to them what the problems in my lung. Um, so another experience where I'm like, hey, I need to talk to a specialist. Can I talk well, to a yeah, a hemoglobin doctor or somebody in that, you know, specializing in that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, they send you to Duke. You get tested at Duke University down the street, which I couldn't understand. If you're a medical facility, then why is not all the treatment being done here? Why am I being outsourced? Um, so it was just a trying situation. Like I said, I never talked to certain specialists. I think the only person I talked to that was an actual doctor was the rheumatoid arthritis doctor. Um, he talked to me for 10 minutes, told me I was still experiencing pain. Um, the bunks that we slept on, the mattresses, I asked for a specialized mattress, never got one. Um, and I knew that's where my pain was primarily coming from. Um, and all he did was just up my dosage. Never checked me physically, never, you know, no x-rays, just, hey, take more pills. So it was a really interesting situation overall. Um, I was having nosebleeds daily. I finally realized that it was due to the ventilation that was over the top of my head. There was no filters. Um, it was molded, fungus in the bathrooms. I mean, the living conditions, we realize we're in prison. You realize you're there for a punishment. So we know it's not the Holiday Inn. But the treatment, the facility itself, there's no separation. It's open dorm. There were several people that, you know, when COVID seemed to spike up a little bit, that were walking around with those type of, uh, they had those issues. They were coughing and sneezing all throughout the night. And um, they, had, they had masks? Oh, no, no, no. Mask is unheard of. Getting tested is unheard of. I had asked on several occasions. I said, hey, look, I have, you know, a lung disease. So finally, after my third time of going down to medical, one of the nurses slipped into the back and, you know, grabbed me a mask and said, you know, it was a disposable mask. So, you know, one usage, but I, I would wear it every night. Um, like I said, the ventilation was so bad and, you know, the dust and the, the fungus and the mold was so bad. It was I know I was breathing all this in and me having sarcoidosis was going to be a no-win situation. So finally, you were able to start with the help of someone in there to begin preparing for compassionate release. What did that detail? Well, let's kind of let's go. Let's go back to you again. And it's not to really give un, undue credit. But um, if we go back up a little bit, I turned myself in in April. When I turned myself in in April, I went in with a stack of paperwork. Um, you had explained to me to make sure I had it labeled legal, medical. So I went in with all the documentation that you had given me, um, all the analysis for Butner. Butner had about 37, don't quote me, but I know 37 plus deaths uh, during the COVID phase, one of the highest in the BOP. And like I said, this can all be researched. I'm not just giving, you know, my personal opinion on that. There are actual numbers. So I went in with this package, this package that you, my wife, myself, we produced together. Um, they have what they call them jailhouse lawyers, guys that have been in for a while that, you know, kind of took an interest into law. They're not actual lawyers. Some are, some aren't. The ones that I dealt with weren't actual lawyers, but they had good experience from being locked up. And after looking at my package, and I refer to him as, you know, jailhouse lawyer. His name was Mark, by chance, um, with a K. He said, you're going to be free. 
He said, you're not going to be here very long. Now, mind you, other people were saying, hey, look, you haven't even been here for six months yet. Why don't you just wait a little bit and then turn this in? But again, with my wife pushing as hard as she was pushing, still communicating with you, I said, I can't wait till I can't wait till the six month. I need to go ahead and put this paperwork in now and just let it let it do what it do, you know. And uh, that's what basically happened. So the jailhouse lawyer, um, he really didn't have to do much, but just compile everything and, and kind of organize it. But outside of that, I came in with all the documentation I needed. Did you have to go through like BP 8, 9, 10, 11, and then yes. 2241? I had to do the BP 8 and the BP 9. Um, the BP 8 basically is you have to ask permission to be free through the medical team. Then the medical team, 99% of the time, will deny you because of slapping their face saying that they can't take care of you. And they have a standard verbiage. They have a standard standard memo, memo that they produce and they give to all the prisoners. Um, the BP-9 went up to the warden. The warden also has standard verbiage. Um, at the time, I had a female warden and, you know, she just, her memo, signed it, sent it on back. So that's part of the standard process. But it's very important. If you don't do those two things, the judge will not even look at your package. And there are a lot of denial because people have not put those two in. I've, I've, I've read numerous reports online where the judge just shot it down immediately just because of those rank, those those, you know, those uh, those problems with the package. But um, after you get those back disapproved, then you can go directly to your judge. And that's what I did. So you went from the BP nine directly to the judge. You didn't go through a BP 10 or BP 11. No, I didn't try to. And those um, I'm glad you pointed those things out. Those aren't requirements um, based on what I read as far as the instruction, the current instruction. Those basically go to region and then region looks into it. My problem with those things, because they weren't required, the BP-8 and the BP-9 were requirements. The BP-10 and 11 are kind of suggested, but I didn't have the time. You know, time no, that's, that's good to know. I didn't know that. I didn't yes. know you could go from the nine right to the judge for with yes. this, is this. Is that because it deals with medical and COVID as opposed to another type of grievance? Uh, I think it's just the flux of timing. Um, I think COVID did help, you know, as far as making it more expedited. expedited. Yeah. Yeah. It's more expedient as a result. But you know, they start realizing that the time you're dealing with all this paperwork, your your health is deteriorating. So you're kind of up against the clock. And that's how I felt. So like I said, I put the paperwork into the prison, the medical team. They said no. Came back, put my paperwork into the warden. She said no. And then I went straight to the judge. And the judge, um, from there, it basically goes to the DA. And the DA will dispute um, everything, all the findings in which you, you know, have put in for Fortunately enough, because of what you gave me and the research my wife was able to do as well, I had so many caveats they couldn't they couldn't challenge what I was talking about. I mean, how do you challenge mold and fungus on the ventilation system? You know, how do you challenge deaths, you know, with names attached to them? You know, how do you how do you challenge these things? You can't. How do you challenge me telling you I haven't seen professional doctors or specialists for the problems that I came in with? You know, so their response, even though they didn't agree with my compassion release, was very vague. Now, normally, the DA responds. Then I get their response. It's placed into PACER, and then I'm allowed to respond back, to rebut. And then the judge makes a decision. 
Really? Vikings so it's through pay. I didn't know any of this. I thought it went to the judge and that was that. But it goes not to the judge. It goes to the. It goes. To, it, it's a weird pattern, Mark. And what it does is, like I said, initi I initiate. I'm the initiator because right. I don't have the problem, which is, you know, I, I send it to the judge. The judge gives it to the DA. The DA rebuts against what I said. Then normally, the keyword normally, I get the chance to rebut again against what the DA said, and the judge will make a decision. With my situation, I did not have to rebut. The judge made an ultimate decision. She used her power, and she saw that their rebuttal against me was so weak, and my health was deteriorating. She freed me immediately at that point in time. But being, as you were still in, in Butner, how would you know to rebut against Pacer? You don't really know because you're supposed to get the documents from the DA. The DA is supposed to send it to the judge, and the judge sends it to me. The judge okay. never sent me. She never sent All me right, documents. Because it didn't, when the judge got it back, she just let you go. She, she just gave you release. She, she sat on it for about, I would say, a good month and a half. It's not all everything wow. that I'm speaking on does take time. Um, like I said, I turned my paperwork in, guesstimate. I got there in April, self-surrendered in April. I probably didn't turn everything in until about June, July. Um, once I turned everything in, when I say turn everything in, you have to be thorough. You know, based on all the documentation you gave me, you right. have to, you can't speak on your opinion. You gave me articles. Um, my wife was able to find some articles. You have to have validation. You have to have your your eyes dotting your T's crossed. You can't go okay. with crayon and just hope for the best and draw on pictures. You have to have, you know, actuality and facts. And we had numbers, we had science, you know, and it just didn't match up. They couldn't do anything about it. I mean, it was it was incredible. Um, the same prison had a person with the same lung disease as myself who had been released about six months to a year earlier. So I knew hands down then if you couldn't handle that person, it becomes common sense, you would hope. But you're dealing with different judges all yeah, over the world. Yeah, but you don't want to assume. You can't assume. You cannot assume. So to tie this together, yes. what's your recommendation to someone who is at the, whether or not they have a medical problem, maybe they're of the age, older than you, that they may have a medical history. Right. But- you know, they're, they come, they're, they're facing federal indictment and they've had the knock at the door. They've been served or they heard about it over the phone. Right. What's your recommendation? Um, hindsight, looking back on my situation, just first and foremost, take a split second and you, you don't have much time because it's a, a revolving door just to catch your breath and realize the reality of life. Just face the reality, face the music, um, whether you committed the crime, you didn't know about the crime. Like I said, I was novice to everything that was going on around me. So I was really bamboozled by it all. Um, I had lost my government job and everything. So there are a lot of entities that affected everything. And of course, I have a family. So what I can suggest is basically do your research. You know, just take a deep breath. Don't just jump the gun. Don't start spending money haphazardly. Um, do your research. Do your due diligence. I mean... You know, don't depend on the world to kind of figure it out for you. Come across paths with somebody like Mark and, you know, use his subject matter expert, you know, understanding of the field of art and his dealings and his history. Um, you just have to listen to those that can really speak on it. I mean, I couldn't go to uh, a librarian 
and ask for advice on a federal case. You know, I have to you have to deal with people that have been in that situation that full that have full understanding. Please note also that the rules and regulations change daily. Um, I had many people tell me, hey, you can't do this. Um, you have to do 50 percent of your time. That was people not knowing that that was the CARES Act. You know, there are different things out there. I was released based on compassionate release. My sentence was two and a half years. I only served five and a half months. So, you know, with all that being stated, it just takes research and takes effort. You know, don't cross your legs and and just go with the wind because you'll just end up sitting in prison and, and it, it won't be a very endearing situation. This situation kept me busy while I was locked up. Um, I was constantly working on things. I was going to the library, the law library. Um, and that's another caveat. You have to have the research or you have to have an outside source to be able to help you because the law library in prison is outdated. Um, you don't have access to any type of internet as far as Google. You have no access to any of this. So behoove of you to, you know, have some family member, hopefully that's willing to help you if in that situation or, and not just, or, but, and someone like Mark, um, you kept communication ties with me while I was to the day I went in. And once the day I got there, you kept your communication going with me. Um, keep in mind, I didn't hear from my lawyer anymore. You know, he hasn't been very communicative over the entire course of the problem. But once I got arrested and I mean, I actually started my time, I, I didn't hear from him anymore. He never emailed me to check on me or anything of that nature. So you know, I, I appreciate all that. I'm yeah. grateful for you saying that. But to be frank, a lot of it was the fact that you you and your wife both listened. And. When I either asked both of you to do something, you did it. And when I sent you information, you used it. Definitely. And so that's part of it. Definitely. And also, even though compassionate release is done, so to speak. Right. Um, the Second Look Act keeps compassionate release very active. Yes. And that, the Second Look Act, basically applies to compassionate release, but things that happened or I've changed since sentencing. Right. Brooks, I appreciate you taking the time. If you can bear with me a minute, let me yeah. stop the uh, recording because it's about to stop on its own. So let's okay. see if I can do that before. Right. Well, thank you again for having me. All I right. appreciate yeah. you. You're welcome. Stay right there. <laughs> 